Good morning, brothers and sisters, and to those of you at home as well. We have only two more Sundays with the letters from Peter until Pastor Rich comes. Yay! Rather unusual passage this morning. One of the Christian songwriters wrote a song, These Are the Words You Don't Say to Your Wife. I was thinking about that song on the way over here because there was a time when I was the token pastor on a theological seminary board. I was thinking, there are things you don't say at the theological seminary board. And one day I had said, you know, all these things we're struggling with here at the seminary, if you took all the theologians from all the seminaries of all the churches in the world and you laid them end to end, probably be a good idea just leave them like that. Let's read from 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read the first part and the end part, and then we'll get into the message this morning. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many, not a few, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Now let's go down to um, verse 10, the second part, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, yet even angels, they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Let's go down to verse 17. These men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than what they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them, better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the proverb is true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. <laughs> I told you, difficult passage this morning. Well now, let's just recap for a moment. The first letter of Peter was written to a suffering royal priesthood 
born again, a people of God, called to holy living. That's who you are. You are a royal priesthood that has been called out of the darkness of the sinful world to live as God's ambassadors right now in this present age, where you live, where you work, in your family. You are now the people of God. So then we came to the first chapter last week, and there were four words. Remember them? No, there won't be a test. I know you've slept since last Sunday. Yes, I heard one of the words. Grow. How about we start with gifted, then grow, then goals, and then guaranteed. Peter was saying, your born-again experience stands rock solid on who Jesus Christ is, the living Son of God. You have been gifted with God's wonderful promises. You've been gifted with a cleansing from your past sins. You are growing in Christ. You're adding and adding and adding wonderful characteristics to your, your, your Christian experience. And there is a goal in sight. The goal is that one day he's going to call you to heaven where he has prepared a place for you. And all of this, all of this is guaranteed by two things. The person of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. These are the solid foundations that guarantees who you are. Nothing can go wrong now, right? There can be no further problems in the Christian life. Once you've got all that in place, everything is set. You have an easy road now to heaven. Except that Peter, in the next two chapters, this one this morning and the one next week, Peter warns us about attacks that will come to you as you experience this born-again life right here and now. He said in um, chapter 1 and verse 10, he said, Therefore, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, these things I've just mentioned, if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a life to be lived. There are efforts to be made. If anybody says, oh, I think you're all about a works salvation, what they're trying to say to you is, you're trying to work your way to heaven. Say, no, we have not been saved by good works. But remind them, we have been saved, says Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, we have been saved to do good works. You haven't been saved just to sit around saying, oh, it's all over. I just have to coast my way into heaven right now. You are called by God, but he says, make every effort to make that calling sure. We'll come back to that in a moment. So you kind of have to say, Peter, you've laid a great foundation for us. In the first letter, you spoke about how we were to, and, and what, who we were in, in God, and in the first chapter of your second letter, you spoke about these four things that are vital to our successful and healthy Christian living. Why this now? Why this chapter? Let me tell you about how it was in Peter's day. God was doing great things by bringing the gospel not just to the Jewish people, but through the Jewish people to the Gentile world. God was sending missionaries all out from Jerusalem, 
in obedience to that word that Jesus spoke. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yes, we can do that. Judea, yes, we can do that. Samaria, uh uh-oh. We're not so sure about those Samaritans. He didn't even stop there. He said, and to the absolute ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're going to be my witnesses. Well, he used various methods to drive the church out into the world. One of them was persecution. Never think that persecution is in itself an ultimate tragedy. God has used persecution of the believers at times to drive us out to even greater places of witness. So as the church went out and into the Gentile world, it proclaimed Jesus and God raised up particular missionaries. One of the very first missionary teams that he raised up was the Paul and Barnabas team. Remember they were elders in the church in Antioch. And while they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit came one day and said, I want two of your best men. I want two of your leaders. I want Paul and I want Barnabas, and I'm sending them out on missionary journeys. And those missionary journeys then became normal for the church. Paul went and planted churches in various places around the Roman Empire. But Paul soon found that there was a problem after he left from the places where he planted churches. Some of the places in the New Testament were written in response to that problem that Paul found. Here's what the problem was. After Paul left, people came from Jerusalem pretending to come with the authority of the head of the Jerusalem church, which was James, our Lord's brother, came and said, ah, that Paul, that Paul, he didn't tell you the whole story. There's a lot more to being a Christian than what Paul told you. Uh, For example, brothers, there's a small surgical operation that's required before you can be a Christian. For example, there are new moon feasts that need to be obeyed. There's a whole raft of of regulations from the writings of Moses that need to be part of your lives before you can really call yourself a Christian. And you find that Paul writes in response to that problem and said, no, no. That was the old covenant. There is a new covenant. This one is written on people's hearts by the born-again experience. This new covenant Paul wrote about to the, to the, the churches that had gained these problems from the people who came from Jerusalem. Paul said, no, it's not about going back to the old covenant ways. God's doing a brand new thing. Peter recognized here in the end of his life that there were problems in the New Testament church. He says, but there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So the message this morning is, Christian, born again, part of the royal priesthood, gifted by God, growing in Jesus, Goal for heaven, guaranteed by the word of God and the the person of Jesus. There's a message for you, Christian. Do not be gullible when it comes to every prophecy that comes along. Every word that's from God that comes along. I'll give you one that has greatly disturbed a number of American Christians all over our country. Prophets, especially from the school of the prophets, so-called, in California, they predicted that 
President Donald Trump will definitely have a second term in the White House. And right up to the very end, there were Christians saying, I don't believe the news media. God has spoken. And God has spoken through his prophets and God won't allow what his prophets said to be false. Well, you have to ask yourself right now, how reliable were those prophecies that guaranteed that President Trump would have another time in the White House? It's not my place here to comment on whether he should or shouldn't have another term. It is my place to comment on that these bold prophecies have destabilized a number of people that I personally know. Peter says, just as there were false prophets among the people in the old covenant, there's going to be false teachers among you, and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That's why you need to be a people who listen to every message Bible in hand. That's why even the things I say here or any other preacher says in this building, you need to weigh it by the scriptures. It is not enough just to be impressed with someone's speaking style, their education level, or whatever. You need to be a Christian with Bible in hand and weighing everything that is said. Do you remember the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace, John Newton? John Newton, in his older years, became pastor of a church in England. And at one point, he said to his congregation, you need to be a people who weigh what I tell you with from your Bibles. You need to be a people who carefully weigh all that the Bible says. So I say to you this morning, be a Christian with your Bible in hand. Don't be a second-hand hearer of the truth. God has inspired his word for you. And Peter's saying to you this morning, one of the attacks on the church of Jesus worldwide from Peter's day to this very day as we are here in this church, one of the attacks is going to be false teaching. False teaching who secretly introduce destructive heresies. And the trouble is, those heresies deny the Lord who bought them. They are going to bring destruction on themselves. Now, Peter is saying, God will judge. Do not think for one moment that God will wash his hands of his church and not allow judgment to come. There will be judgment. Peter gives three startling examples of God bringing judgment upon false living. The first one he uses is when the angels fell in the Great Rebellion. The Great Rebellion when Satan set himself up as the counterfeit to God. When the angels fell, God brought judgment upon them. The second thing that Peter refers to, he talks about there was that day when Sodom and Gomorrah Oh, sorry, first, first the angels, then he speaks about Noah and the flood. He talks about how Noah, that preacher of righteousness, God brought judgment upon the fallen world then. Then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah's case, he talks about God brought judgment upon wrong living. I'm always surprised when somebody wants to suggest that the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah was inhospitable hospitality. 
They weren't kind enough to visitors. People are trying to somehow sidestep that God is a God of judgment and he will bring false teaching and he will bring sinful living into judgment. If we as a country think that somehow because of wonderful people in our past, we can now do as we please and play loose and fast with the laws of God and with the ways of holiness. If we think that, we better read our Bibles and see God will not be mocked. He will bring judgment upon a nation that has departed from his ways. At this moment, I'm working on a book on the life of Jeremiah, and I've been personally deeply touched by how in those last years before the exile came, before the nation was carried away into Babylon, that God gave opportunity after opportunity for people to repent, for people to put things right with God. So Peter uses those three examples to say that there is the reality of God's judgment. Now, as I was thinking about this message this morning, my mind has gone to the state of the Church of the Nazarene in our nation and in our world today. I will boldly say this. I do not, for one moment, fear that the Church of the Nazarene will cease as a movement. Unlike rock and roll, I have given the Church of the Nazarene the best years of my life. I do not fear for one moment that the Church of the Nazarene will cease as a movement. I'll tell you what I do fear. I fear that her scholars might lead her astray. It's up to ordinary Christians like you and ordinary Christians like me to watch and weigh very carefully whatever comes out of our teaching organizations. For what, I said to some, some professors years ago, what you teach in the seminary today, they will preach from the pulpits tomorrow and the next day we will vote it into doctrine. Be very careful to be aware of what happens. Let me give you one example out of many. It's not that this is the worst example or the most startling example or even my present hobby horse. This is just one of many run-ins that I as an ordinary pastor have had with theological teachers in our, in our movement. There came about some years ago a heresy called open theism. Open theism. Have any of you ever heard of that? Probably not. It's kind of floating around amongst pastors on the internet. Open theism holds a number of tenets, but one of them is God does not know the future. Yeah, yeah. God doesn't know the future. He's like a great chess player, like a Boris Spassky, who every time we make a move, God makes another move. So that his purposes will in the end come out and he'll win the game. We have such free will that even God doesn't know how the future will turn out. So as I was out there on the East Coast and as one of our seminaries was hosting a particular seminar on this, what I call a blatant heresy, I got in touch with the college and I began an email discussion with one of the professors involved. At one point, the professor said, where do you even get in the Bible that God knows the future? Oh, 
I wrote every verse I could think of. I wrote when God says he knows the future. I wrote when, when God told prophets what was going to happen. I wrote it all down again, sent this long list. He wrote me back a one-sentence reply. You do seem to have a lot of verses. What? I do not fear the Church of the Nazarene will cease as a movement. I do fear there's a possibility that false teachers might lead her astray. Another time, one of the members of our staff was studying for a master's degree in theology with one of our particular colleges, a different professor this time, and um, she kept quoting in response to what he was teaching, stuff I was preaching. Eventually, on a, one of those Zoom meetings, he said, does your pastor know more than I do? Look at all the books here on my shelf. You know, in Zoom, you can kind of see the office. These are all my friends. What does your pastor know? And she said, I think he knows the Bible. I say that humbly, because I think this is the only way to keep any church theologically pure. This is the only way to resist these false teachers that Peter speaks about right here. Now, here's the thing. These teachers are springs without water. They are mists driven by a storm. They mouth empty, boastful words. They appeal to the lustful desires of sinful human nature. This is the problem. That we have great emptiness outside of biblical reality. None of you are immune from being deceived outside of a study and constant study of this book. None of you are immune to being led astray by some grandiose preacher who has some incredible things to say that, that somehow deep inside you they resonate and you feel, oh, I'd like that. Take as another example the huge prosperity gospel heresy that swept through the church from about 1980 through to about 1997. These TV preachers with their amazing sets behind them and their jet planes that flew all over the world and their big gold bands and diamond rings. These TV preachers were saying, you too can have prosperity. It's the will of God for every Christian to prosper. These were people who were experts in greed, the way Peter says in verse 14. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. One day, I went to one of the churches in the country where I was serving to see for myself what was the appeal of this prosperity heresy. As I drove into the parking area, I noticed that many of the cars were in worse shape than mine. And that took some doing in those days. But as I drove up to where the entrance was, I saw the pastor's gold Mercedes. It wasn't really made of gold, it was just gold colored. But it was top of the range. 
And there he came out onto the stage with his, you know, $1,000 suit and amazing jewelry and his wife whose hairstyle probably cost more than I was paid the whole year. And there all over the auditorium were ordinary people hoping against hope somehow that if we could just believe what this man was saying, they too could be rich. This is being an expert in greed. I hold in my hand the only answer you have. Let the Holy Spirit brood over his word and keep you safe from the heresies that come and go. It's like winds of doctrine that blow through the church from who knows where, usually from the places of hell itself. Winds of doctrine blow in and blow out. They have a 20 or 30 year span, then they're gone again, then the next one comes. And usually if you really examine them, you find that there is nothing new under the sun. What Satan does is he takes an old heresy, puts new clothes on it, and brings it back to churches. Peter writes two warnings to us. We, the royal priesthood, we, the people of God, we, the born again, he writes two warnings, and here's one of them. The warning is that false teaching can creep in, and this book and the knowledge of what God says is your only hope. To draw this to a close this morning, I want to say one more thing. This can happen to any of us. So beware. Beware. It is possible for false doctrine to creep into any of us. It is possible for any of us to lose the way. There's been a popular teaching to say that once God's got hold of you, you're completely secure and you never can possibly lose your way. What do we say if we come to verse 20, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Christian, take that warning seriously. Jesus said, he that endures or she that endures to the end will be saved. There is a sense in which this life is a constant battle with evil all the way to the end. Take that 20th verse seriously. It is possible to have known our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's possible to have escaped the corruption of the world, had a real experience with God, and then have what verse 20 is saying happen to you. Let's have no super Silious and, and artificial security among us. You are as saved as you are today. Oh, Pastor, how can you say that? I, I had a wonderful conversion. I was much better 10 or 15 years ago than I am today. <laughs> really? You're as saved as you are now. There's almost a sense in which I want to disturb that verse that says, Now is the day of salvation. God's working with you now. Present, continuous obedience is what's required of you and me. I was a young Christian when someone said to me, Andrew, 
keep short accounts with God. There's a possibility you may well sin, some heinous sin or some minor sin that makes no difference. Keep short accounts with God. Put things right every day with God. Walk with Him in obedience every day. You see, Peter says it would have been better for those who have started well, served the Lord, known Jesus as Savior, been and escaped the corruption of the world and returned. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command passed on to them. That I take as a very serious warning from Scripture. It would be better not to have known the Lord at all than to have known Him and walked with Him and then slowly turning your back on Him and going after some destructive heresies. He kind of ends his warning to us with that startling proverb from his day. Some people are like a dog returning to its vomit. Some people are like a sow having been carefully washed, going back to the mud. There is enough grace to keep you every day in the way. That song that the musicians introduced or used this morning, the song about how great a debtor we are to grace, the song was written in the 1700s. It's as true today as it was back then. We are debtors to grace. We are called upon by God to make every effort to make our calling and election sure. This is your responsibility, Christian. Do not be lulled into some kind of false sleep and saying, oh, well, others will keep the church pure. I don't have to take my part in that battle. Do not be lulled into some false sense of security saying, well, so long as um, I can come to church and sing the songs and, and feel good, that's enough for me. You are called by Peter to be part of the struggle. Be involved. Be committed to it. You see, in my opinion, the church is only one generation away from extinction all the time. Other godly men and women before you were in this place and they were serving God and they made sure that right things were taught to the youth of this congregation and, and to the other congregations. Other men and women of God sacrificed and served God and prayed and witnessed and made sure that everything was true by the standard of God's word. Guess whose turn it is now? Yours and yours and yours. I want to pray for you. You have the wonderful privilege of a new pastor coming. Wonderful privilege. He isn't coming to make you holy. He isn't coming to make you ardently on fire for Christ. He's coming to lead you. Get yourself ready. Be ready. For great days may yet be ahead of serving God through this congregation. This town can yet be greater blessed than ever before because people like you 
took God, the Holy Spirit, and his words seriously. Would you stand for prayer? Gracious Lord, I'm very aware of the struggle that happens. I'm aware that all over the boardrooms of hell, plans and plots are being hatched to lead your people astray. Plausible sounding speakers, gifted writers are publishing books, the internet is full of spiritual garbage, fine-sounding, but really just appealing to those baser desires we have. Father, would you have mercy upon us in this day? Grant that your grace may so invade this congregation that they would be fixed upon Mount Calvary, as that song said, fixed upon the mount, the mount of your redeeming grace, that they would be fixed upon it with an ardent love for you and an ardent love for your word. Grant, Lord, all over this congregation that there will be people like those people at Berea, where Paul preached, where it says the people of Berea were more noble than the others. They daily searched the scriptures to see if the things that were preached were really true. Grant, O oh Lord, a wide awake congregation here that loves you, loves your word, loves the truth whose name is Jesus. Now, Lord, may your mercy and grace be upon each of us. Keep us safe as we drive home in the snow. Grant to us this coming week an opportunity to think about the things of your word. And if by your wonderful grace you allow us to meet again next week, May our hearts again be open, as, as indeed open every Sunday, to testing to see whether your word is being spoken to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.